Okay. <laughs> I took a little nap. Yeah, my daughter. She had to go back today, which was too bad. But it was wonderful. The time I had spent with her, you know, two solid days and some, like, two and some part of another day. It was wonderful. Um, our last official act was to go to our little diner this morning for breakfast. And then we came home and talked to my neighbor, Stephanie, for, I talked to Stephanie for like an hour and a half. Claire probably talked to her for 20 minutes, uh, 30 minutes at the most, but around 20. Because she had to go, so she was getting ready to go. But talking to Stephanie was really good. Stephanie, um, she's a good person. She really is. Um, faced tremendous disappointments. Her father died. Very close to her father. Um, you know, very supportive of me as a neighbor and a friend. I mean, so she's good. So that. Yes, let me do that again. I love it when I drag my words out. That is not what this podcast is about. <laughs> this podcast, actually, I was talking to a friend. In the wee hours, I, in the wee hours of the morning, don't you know? Because it was pretty late. Um, we were talking, and uh, what I like about her is we can laugh, joke, talk about crazy stuff, talk about serious stuff, very deep and whatever. Um, um, it's always an interesting conversation. I like that. I like... I like a complete conversation, um, which is we laugh, we joke around, we tease each other, um, just everything. It's, it's a combination of everything. And when it's getting, when it's winding down, you can feel it winding down because we both, she and I both wind our conversations down when we're going, when we have to go. And the winding down is to deal with the fact that we're saying goodbye because, um, I hate it. I hate a conversation to end with somebody I really like um, or someone I love, depending on what the person means to me. Um, I hate to say goodbye because it's a, if we're having a conversation that's wonderful and we're clicking, um, it, it's like sitting together talking to somebody you really like or something they like you and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe you love each other or whatever. But the thing is, the conversation is enriching. It's bonding. It's cre you know, it, it's it, it either strengthens or well, it either creates or strengthens the bond you already have. <sighs> oh, excuse me, but it's enjoyable, and you hate to see it end. That's that's what it really is all about. But you know, it has to end. So you both wind it down in an effort to manage or limit the impact it's going to have on you. Not to be having the conversation now when it ends until you see him again, you have another conversation. That conversation is over. So, yeah. Well, anyways, one of the things we're talking about, this person is dealing with a lot of things right now. And, um, one of the things that's evident with this person is they do, um, have a tough time making decisions. And not just making decisions, because sometimes they make they just make them, and they sometimes they make them very well. Uh, sometimes this person it's difficult for them to make a decision and feel like that decision was the best decision for them. That's what we're going to talk about because of the conversation I had with her. 
I'm going to talk to you about my technique for making decisions. Now, granted, I'm old and fat. At least I think I am. Well, I'm probably older than most of you. Um, fat, eh, that's relative. Me, I'm, I need to lose weight. Let's put it that way. I've gained weight from my lifestyle, eating good food, sitting around, watching videos, you know, and taking naps. <sighs> I'm still coming out of the one I took. It was so good. So satisfying that when I woke up, I spent like 20 minutes or so doing a few things. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to sleep world and spend some more time in sleep world because it was that satisfying. So I lie, I laid back down and probably slept 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and it was wonderful, but I knew that I needed to get up and get started. So, so I did. I got up and now I'm starting. But I wanted to do this because I promised her that I would do I'm going to do two podcasts. I have to go back and review what the second one is. But the first one is about making decisions. <sighs> okay, let me lay it out to you. These are the facts. Let me give you the basics. For me, and it's worked, one of the, and it's really something I learned. It wasn't something that I conceived in my mind. It's something I saw when I was studying project management. Um, and that is, it's called Good, Better, Best. A, B, C, one, two, three, and not the song by the Jackson Five. Let's, let's, let's establish that right now as a fact. I'm not talking about A, B, C, baby, just you and me. You know, whatever the, however the damn song goes. It's a catchy tune, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, let's get focused again. This is how it works. You have a problem. And... <sighs> Or maybe it's a responsibility. It doesn't always have to be a problem. A problem has a mathematical ring to it, but sometimes it has a negative connotation when someone says, I have a problem. Well, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just because you have something you need to deal with. So let's rather say you have something you need to deal with, whether it's a problem or it's a responsibility or it's a decision, because everything in life at some point becomes a decision. Everything. Um, do I eat that you know, pound of chocolate? Hell yes. There, I made that decision for you. But everything, is, at some point, everything in our lives becomes a decision. Yeah. Whenever it's contemplated and you're, and you're going to have to act, you always make a decision before you act. And some people say, that's BS. You know, I just do things all the time. I don't make a decision about it. Well, you did. Your subconscious did it for you. But... If you're going to be connected in life and see the effect of your decisions and see the effect of your actions, you have to do it in a concrete fashion. The concrete fashion is this. I'm going to give you an example. Um, and, and remember, there's an opportunity cost to every decision we make. So you may say to yourself, okay, um, I have to put a roof on my house. So you got to, you have a decision to make, and that is you, your your roof needs to be replaced. So you can so you make what you're supposed to do is list A, B, C, one, two, three, at least three ways you think can solve the problem. So you might say, okay, I need to put a roof on my house, so it's only one layer of roofing, so I will do a nail over, which a lot of people do. I'm not a fan of them. I used to do construction. I hated nail. I got to the point I wouldn't do them anymore because you can't guarantee the roof's not going to leak. 
Let's say, for instance, you need a roof, so you say, okay, I'm going to um, put, I'm going to do a nail over. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you write down A, nail over. Then you say, well, no, I'm going to put a 20-year shingle on. So in other words, I'm going to tear the shingles off. And I'm going to use tar paper instead of the new membrane material because it's cheaper. And I'm going to put a 20-year roof on. I don't even know if they still make 20-year shingles, but let's say they do. So you say, okay, so for B, you're doing the tear-off, and you're going to put 20-year shingles. That is actually a little bit better than, than A. A is good. B is better. C, you say to yourself, well, uh, Freaking roof is shot all to hell. Um, I'm going to be in this house for a long time, and I want some resale value out of the house. So now you may say to yourself, okay, so I'm going to have the roof torn off. I'm going to have it re-roofed with ice guard and membrane instead of felt, and I'm going to use an architectural-grade shingle, um, 35, 40, 50-year shingle. You know, that, that's your final decision. And, of course, the shingle length of years is dependent upon the amount of asphalt that's in the shingles and the thickness of the shingle. So there is some actual, there is an actual structural composition to the shingle that makes it last longer. It's just, it isn't because they just decide to call it a 40-year shingle. It has to meet testing. Um, so it has to be certified through testing that it can last that long. It can have a usable life. doesn't mean it's going to look pretty. It means that it'll have a usable life. It'll keep water out of you from going into your house for 40 years, you know, unless it's damaged somehow, you know, by people going up and walking on it or putting solar panels or anything that penetrates the roofing material. If you stay off the roof and you don't do solar and antennas and all that kind of crap, um, those shingles will have a usable life uh, of 40 years, so usually. Sometimes they don't last that long. Sometimes weather has. Okay, so you made these three decisions. Now you got to pick the one that you feel you can, that, that would work best for you. So maybe one of the constraints is money. You don't have the money to you know, to do the 40-year shingle. You have plenty of money to do the nail over. In the middle one, you have money to do that one too with some little money left over. Now you take, you make a decision, okay, I'm going to do B. I have sufficient funds to pay for B, and I even have some extra money left over. Time for another decision. Yeah. You know you're going to stay in the house longer, you know you want to do a tear-off, and you want to put, you know, a new roof on. You said 20-year shingles with tar paper. What you do now is you try to so you say to yourself, can I improve upon this decision? Well, I can tell you as a, an ex-building contractor, as a general, yes, you can. Because you may have enough money extra to deal with a membrane in at least a 30-year shingle. Because 40 and 50 year shingles are very expensive. Um, so you may be able to get a 30 year architectural, which they make, um, and do a membrane system, which is a little bit more expensive. And they actually, a roofer likes it more 
than doing the felt because it's it's safer to be walked on when they're doing your roof and it, it outperforms you know tar paper or roofing felt outperforms it hands down it's just that the code allows you to still use uh, tar paper or roofing felt that's your next decision so say you run the numbers you've chosen b now you're going to upgrade b because you have the money you run the numbers on your decision to use 30 year with you know ice guard and and membrane and all that stuff and architectural shingles 30-year architecturals and you see you're 500 short from doing that so the original three you chose the you chose b which was better you took the better and you improved the better more than the original better you're 500 short now you have to make a decision um, is it worth my coming up with $500 to do the best out of my all my decisions? The best is to upgrade the shingle and do the membrane and ice guard. Um, you know, that's the best because you're going to be in the house for a, for a while. You decide you're going to stick around for a while. You say to yourself, well, my, my house, uh, the roof is 3,000 square feet. Uh, you, you know where I'm going with this. If it's five hundred dollars, and three goes into five, you know, was it a one time and then it'd be twenty and three? So we're talking about what sixteen cents, something like that, per square foot. It's worth it. Yes, it is worth it. So you say yes. I will, I'll come up with a five hundred dollars sum. Um, I'll, I'll save, I'll postpone doing the roof for one month and then I'll have the $500. So I'll do it. So you contact the roofing and you say, Hey, look at, you get three, uh, at least three bids. So you, you say, okay, my budget for this roof is 3000 square feet. My budget for that roof is $9,000. I'm just throwing these figures off the top of my head. Um, $3 a square foot. So you start getting bids for it and your bid you know, criteria is uh, the specifications for the job are you want a tear off, you want a membrane. Of course, ice guard is code anyway, but it's, you know, all new um, flashings, the stuff that a roof normally gets. But you say, I want the membrane instead of the felt paper. I want a 30 year architectural shingle. And you know, you're already $500 in the red, but if you wait a month, you'll have the 500. So you either can postpone the job to come up with 500 or you can get bids until you find somebody who can do your roof for $2,500, I mean, for $8,500 instead of the 9000 And if you find somebody who can do it for 8700 you take it from that. You, got, you don't have to come up with less money now. 9000 was your, your budget if you waited a month, but now you get a guy who comes in and says, I can do, the, I can do it for 8700 you're saving $300. So you schedule it two weeks from the time. So you have two weeks to come up with that money. And then when he's done, you pay him. This is the ABCs of decision-making. This is what I was going to teach this friend of mine. I talked to her about this a long time ago, but, you know, I talked about a lot of things. So um, she wasn't exactly sure what I had told her before. So this is what this podcast is. This works for anybody willing to do it. Because some people don't want to spend the time doing these things. 
some people don't want to spend like okay i have a budget every month um i have a budget of what i can spend uh, and then i keep track of what gasoline i use and food and eating out the bills are fixed my cost formula are the fixed bills, which you see, they're constants, meaning every month I'm going to have to pay electrical. Every month I have to pay, uh, you know, insurance. Every month I have to pay uh, gas and sewer, water, all that. Those are constants. Um, life insurance, that's an every month deduction. Um, I'm trying to think what else I pay. Property taxes come once a year, but I have to save for them. I have to budget so much for property taxes. So in other words, I have a budget, and sometimes, yes, I'm going to admit this, I don't stick to it. Sometimes I splurge or go a little nuts or whatever um, and eat into the budget, but I have to replace that. So in other words, if I'm going to live independently and have a certain standard of life, I have to manage my money and live within my means. So there's a lot of decisions I make. Um like well, one of the decisions I made recently was um, the gas prices got to five dollars, and they, you know, they hit five four eighty seven. I think is the first major. I think that was the first major price hike or ceiling of price that caused me to consider getting rid of my BMW because that was forty seven for regular. My BMW burns premium, so it was over five dollars a gallon to buy premium fuel. And I thought, the hell with this. So I looked at the, I did the ABCs. Okay, keep the BMW. It's a 2011. You love the car. Everything works. Um, you put new tires on it. You did all the brakes and the rotors. You know, you did all this work to it. Um, and it runs great. It's fast. I love to drive fast. It handles well. And it's, it's very dependable. You know, the motors are great. And it's a manual, so I don't have the transmission problems other people have. So decision A was to keep it. You're going to love this one. Decision B was to keep it, just don't drive it very much, limit the miles I put on it, because I only had 81,000 on a 2011, so the, the mileage was very low. So decision B was, okay, I'm going to keep the car. I'll drive it occasionally. Um, um, I'll just wait until gas prices come down, and then I'll start driving it like crazy again and enjoy the car. That was decision B. Decision C was, no, i got to get rid of this car. It burns premium fuel. It's a BMW. I'm gonna, when it gets to a certain mileage, like 130,000, whatever, then I'll start having, you know, because traditionally, sometimes it's 150. But I'll start having problems with the car, and they're expensive to have worked on. Parts are expensive. And I'll be stuck with an old car that's having problems and costing me money. Or, so in C, it was, it was like this. It would be if I keep the car, this is what I'm going to look for. C was get rid of the car, buy a Toyota or Honda, a Civic or a Corolla. And I like the Corolla hatchback. And I, I read the reviews on, all, on both of those cars. That's why I chose the Toyota. Um, so it was buy a Toyota or Honda, a Civic or a Corolla, something sporty like the hatchback or the Sport or the SI, whatever. Buy that car um, because it burns regular fuel, which is cheaper. Gets very good mileage. Mine gets between 32 and 43, depending on how I drive and all that stuff. Um, your insurance 
was my insurance was two dollars or more per month with a Toyota than it was with a BMW or four dollars more, something like that. Um, and the Toyota will be newer, um, or Honda, whichever car you choose, will be newer, um, and they're very dependable, and you'll have them for a long time. That was that was C. I went with C. And what I ended up doing was selling the BMW like I did. I ended up finding a 2019 Toyota Corolla hatchback with everything insurance. I mean, with uh, taxes, registration, everything came to $17,500. It gets great gas mileage, very dependable. The specs were really good on it. It's the first generation Toyota uses a new four-cylinder engine. With like 156 horsepower. So in other words, a lot of proofs, new technology. It has a touch screen where the BMW didn't. It has keyless entry, which the BMW didn't. It has a lot of features and, and improvements that the BMW doesn't have. Technological improvements because of the development that occurred between the you know 2011 and 2019. Um, they're very dependable. They got very good ratings. Um, drawbacks. It has road noise that the BMW never had. BMW was very 120 miles an hour. The car was very quiet. Um, BM, that's BMW. Toyota's no. It has a lot of road noise. Doesn't ride as smoothly. Doesn't handle as well. Isn't as fast. But those were trade-offs I was willing to accept for the things that were most important to me: reliability, gas mileage. Uh, cost of parts and, and repairs, simplicity of vehicle. There's no turbos on this thing. No turbo on the BMW either. No turbo. CVT automatic transmission, which was revolutionary and very well constructed. Um, a car that was 60% stiffer, more rigid than the previous version of this car. Well, they called it something else. The point I'm trying to make is of A, B, and C, the car question was C was the best way to go. Um, and yes, I was going to get a loan, and the guy said, well, you can get a loan. Um, the thing is, you probably get through a credit union, but I've got other people interested in the vehicle. Now, he said this, and I believe him, because the car was it was 15.5, I think, or 15-something, as was. When you added in tax and everything else, it came to 17 thousand five hundred but the base price they're asking was like 15 something very attractive seeing how i saw other ones in 23 21 um it had only had six thousand five hundred miles on it so i said to hell with it i said okay forget that i'm not going to go to some freaking bank or credit you're not going to do that instead draw the paper draw the paperwork up right now give me the total and I'll go to my bank and get the money out of savings, and I'll just pay cash for the car. Because the advantages of owning that car made it worth paying cash for it. You going to sell the BMW anyway, so I had money come in from that. That was the most, probably one of the best decisions I made, because I've put about 7,000 miles on the car since I've owned it. Um, going to Washington State, trips back and forth to Wyoming, my own little trips here and there and everywhere. So in the like the three months I've owned it, I put 7,000 miles on it, cruising around. But that's the process of making decisions. 
Um, and I use the ABC process in everything I do. Since my wife has died, I've used the ABC process in my love life, if you want to call it that. Um, a was, yes, you go out and, you know, it would be nice to have a woman, uh, companionship, sex, doing things together, all that kind of stuff. Um, helping her, you know, by having a, you being a man, my being a man in her life. And I, okay, A decision was to get married again. B decision was to get married again, but be super selective and make sure, in other words, take my time and act, actively look for someone. So A was to consider someone that I might already know. B was to get married, take my time, and find somebody I didn't know and get to know them. So it would be a lengthy process. C was don't get married at all. Yeah, just live with the fact um, that you, you know, that life for you is, is better being single. You don't really have a desire to get married anyway, so why are you even thinking about it? And then the legal ramifications of your property and and you know, the things you own, not just real estate property, but the, your property, your possessions, uh, that you want it to go to your kids and all that stuff, uh, would be jeopardized by marrying someone who would have legal recourse to your, and I know people say prenups, I'm not the type of person who could ask a woman to be my life, or I'm not the type of person who could ask a woman to be my wife and then not take care of her. I would, I couldn't do that to, to a woman. I mean, I know people that have made them sign prenups and they really got nothing out of it in the end. Uh, and the feeling was, well, you got to live with me and benefit from living with me and have the house and da, 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 da. Well, I don't think that's right. I think if you marry someone, if you marry a woman, whether you're in your 60s or 70s, whatever the case may be, if you marry her, I think you have an obligation to provide for her in the event that you die and leave her single again. I think you should take care of her. Um, and because of the person I am, I know if I marry someone, I'd never have them sign a prenup because I think that's wrong. If they're willing to become your wife, you should be willing to really be their husband. And even, you know, and of course you're supposed to love them and, uh, of course, you'll have a physical relationship with them and all that good stuff and sickness and health. But I believe that you should also make provisions in case you die that they will be provided for. So that was another thing that made it easy for me to choose C, uh, not get married again. For all those, There's many more reasons, but those are the basics. So in my life, I do the ABC. No, I don't sit down and say, okay, George, A is the da 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 Oh, yeah, and B is da 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 I don't do the mechanics that I'm going to tell you to do. I'm going to tell you to do the mechanics because I don't have confidence in you people that you can do it on the level I can do it. I've been doing this all my freaking life. I've been doing this, even as a child. Intuitively doing it, not knowing that this was a method until I discovered it studying project management. The reason there's, okay, I'm going to tell you the three reasons I want you to put it down on paper. One, I want you to get used to doing it. Yeah. It's a tedious process when you first start. It seems like it's taking a lot of time. And, you know, you're going to be frustrated when you start doing it because you want answers now. Well, the answers come when you work through the problem. 
just like long math or long, you know, division or any of that type of stuff. You learn working through the problem or making working through making the decision. That's how you learn. You don't learn because ideas pop in your head that sound good. So physically writing down these things on paper is a good exercise in actually working them through your mind too. Because you're doing both. You're working through your mind, you're writing down the paper. Working through your mind, writing down the paper. You're conditioning yourself to take the time and make the effort. And you need to, because if you don't, you're going to have some disastrous freaking decisions. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. The second one the reason I want you to do it is because I want you to understand that the pro how the process really works. And you're not going to understand it if you don't do it. it. It forces you. If you commit to doing it and you, you say, I don't care what happens, I'm going to try this. It may be what gets you to keep doing it. Third reason, if you do it the way I tell you to do it and you pay the price of writing down on paper, you'll have two benefits to that. You'll have a recorded, a record. You'll have a record of your past decisions that you can go back and look at that record and see, almost like a history book, See the history of your decisions and how you came to the decision, what things you thought, how they compare to one another, all that. That's one. The second one is, like me, you'll develop it so well, you will not have to write stuff down. I would tell you guys to write stuff down because um, it will help you with the historical you know, analysis of your decision-making process. And, and me, I reached the point where I don't need to review things. I have a very one. I have a very good memory, and two, I do the process mentally, and I can accelerate. And in, in, well, some people say shortcut the process. I don't shortcut. I compress it. I skip. I go right to A to C. I, I figure what's what's the most economical, cheapest that will yield the greatest, you know, benefit, and what is the most expensive, most difficult that will yield, will yield benefits far superior to the first. So I go A and C, I skip B. Uh, and I only do that because I've done it, been doing this so long. I don't have to work through A, B, C. I don't. Um, I can look at A and from A immediately determine the C in my life. So in other words, I look at what will get me by and what do I really want? Basically, that's what A to C is. Um, what is utility? What is existing? Um, what will get me through what I need to do versus what is the best decision? What's going to really provide for everything I want? Like Pedro said in Napoleon Dynamite, I'll make you all your dreams come true. What is going to give me the greatest satisfaction in utility? even if I have to pay a, a terrible price for it, even if I have to spend a lot of time or put a lot of effort into it, if it's going to return um, giving me most of what I want, well, hell yeah, I'm doing C. I'm a C person anyway. Things that are inconsequential, I'm an A person all the time. If it's not really going to affect me, I just want to get it out of the way. But if it affects my life or has a great effect upon other people and my relationship with them and stuff like that, I'm a C person all the way. 
I want the best. I want the most. I want the longest lasting. C provides for that. A's and B's don't. You know, A is good. B is better. C is the best. And this will condition your thought processes, and it will bring to reality. It'll bring to the forefront of reality just one, just how important decisions are and how important it is to make the best decision. And it'll show you in real time, too, if you do the analysis, um, the price you pay for getting something. And I, and this, oh, Shiza, I need to mention this right now. In construction management, there's what they call the construction triangle. And at, it's just, just a three-sided, you know, triangles are three-sided. That's why it's called triangle. Yeah. Well, it's, if I remember right, it's an equilateral. That's the shape you usually see, equilateral. At the top is, and they come in different, you know, configurations. But say, say you have a triangle, you write time at the top. You, on the left-hand corner of the triangle, you write cost. And on the right-hand triangle, you write um, quality. All decisions, every freaking, I'm using freaking again. Yeah, why not? Every freaking thing we do in life, everything. And I would challenge anybody um, to tell me this is not so. Every single thing we do, every thought, everything has a relationship to the cost time or the time cost and quality triangle. Um, and there, I'll give you an example. Time, you want it fast. If you want something quickly, it's going to cost it's going to cost you, and it'll cost you either in terms of resources and money, or it'll cost you in the quality of the product. Yeah. So to want something quickly means you might pay more for it, and the quality might not be as good. If you want, if you're okay, let's say if your sole focus is time, you want to save time. You will probably pay more for it and have less quality. If your primary um, interest is cost, then it would, with time, it'll take longer. And with quality, you'll probably have less quality. If your primary interest or focus is quality, it'll take a long time and it'll cost you more money. So all three of the, the time, cost, and quality have a relationship to one another. Decisions are like that, too. That's like the good, better, and best. You can think of in terms of the time, uh, time, cost, equality. The two go in hand in hand. So if you want, if you want A, you don't really care that it, you know, it's good, it's just good, then it's probably not going to cost you a lot. Um, it won't have much quality, and it won't take very long. Yeah. B, you want a higher product. Might take a little bit longer, might cost a little bit more, but the quality is not really there. Yeah. Or maybe it takes longer, costs you more to get more quality. C is the one where you say, I know it's going to take time. I know it's going to cost me and resources, you know, effort and what have you but I'm going to get the quality of it. I'm going to get the satisfaction out of it. And that's where the you know time, cost, and quality triangle is associated with the A, B, and C in decision-making. If you're able, and who the hell knows if you are, I'm certainly not a psychic. I'm not psychic, man. 
But if you're able to take the ABC and the time, cost, and quality triangle and use those two methods in your decision-making, you're going to be a freaking superstar. Kaboom. You are. Your decision-making, your quality of life, everything, your peace, your happiness, everything's going to improve. It's going to shift. It's going to be a paradigm shift. Your life, the quality of your life is going to improve. Uh, even if you're a village idiot, if you do this stuff, the the, no, the I'd say probably the, the most common effect is an, an improvement in the life of a person, certainly in their decision making. Where does the difference go? If you constantly choose A, then your life won't really won't change very much. It really won't because you're already operating on an A. Most people sometimes they make B's and C's, but most people are operating in the A sector. Yeah, they don't want to put much effort, don't want to spend much time or resources, money, whatever. They don't want to do much, and their expectations are low. Those are A people, um, and and you can live a comfortable life, no, nothing really spectacular, not never really doing much with your life. Yeah, that's that's an A personality. B personality, uh, you see how other people live. You really don't want to live, you know, like white trash. So you make a little effort, you do the yeah, you live a more comfortable life. And you're satisfied. See, people are the people that recognize life is hard. Life takes work. When I say work, I'm not out there. I'm not talking about there swinging hammers in the freaking moon, you know, noonday sun, putting a roof on a house. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the comprehensive approach to work. The work at being honest. The work at, at actually working. The work of planning. The work of doing without so you can have something. The Like maybe maybe you need a new car. Your, your other car is still working, but you need a newer car. So you say, I really don't have the money for a down payment to keep my loan uh, amount lower or the interest rate lower. But if I wait six months, if I postpone the purchase for six months and save money for a good down payment, I'll get a good rate. That is somebody who's applying the principles of C. And if you apply the principles of C and live that, your life will improve substantially. If you do the B thing, it's just, well, you know, I'm, I'll just go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll just get the loan, even though I'm paying a higher interest rate and stuff. I'll just pay more on loan to lower the interest rate. Well, guess what? Automobile interest rates don't work that way. They build the interest right up front. So if you pay it off in a short amount of time, you're paying the interest first. That's how they're set. So it doesn't do you any good to go in there and make a $500 payment on top of your car payment because the interest is being paid off first. That's how it works. If, oh, I'm going to close. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting ready to close. It comes down to this. ABC is a method of, of improving our decision-making to better understanding our decisions and the type of decision we're making, and the type of a decision we decide upon. That's what ABC is about. Time, cost, and quality triangle approach is to help us to understand that with the decisions we make, how it fits that. So because, like I said, um, if you're going to live in a C decision-making where you want the best, you have to be willing to put in the time, expend the resources to get the quality. That's that relationship.
Yeah, you want the best, and you're willing to to do the work necessary. May make the best decision because it's the best decision that's going to yield the best results. That's what it comes down to. I don't know if I can. I hope I'm getting through to you people because I have some people I've told this to face to face. I've told this to. And they're arguing with me, and I'm thinking, you're freaking, you're sitting in the chair warming your ass up, and I'm telling you the truth, telling you things that could help you, and you're arguing with me. You haven't even tried it yet. I don't say this to them, thinking, 